Our sermon text for today is found in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, and verse 18. You can find it in the insert in your bulletin and also on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will will be taken away. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Good to see so many of you this morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer. We've got to start actually referring probably to Redeemer City Church to distinguish us from Redeemer Southwest, who's having a preview service this morning. And so, as Jonathan has already done, please pray for them. We're excited uh, that God is at work in their midst as well. We continue a series this morning uh, through the Gospel of Luke. If you've been here, we've been doing this for over a year now, actually. We're coming to the end. Uh, around Easter time of our time in the Gospel of Luke. But for the month of January, we're going to look at a few of Jesus' parables that are unique to Luke's Gospel. Before we do that, however, this morning we're going to take some time to look at the parable that explains all the other parables. It explains or it answers the question that the the disciples posed to Jesus, why teach in parables? And it's this well-known parable of the sower. And really, this, this scripture this morning, we need to start with just a simple question. It begs the question, and it's a damning question for many of us. Uh, but it's, are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? Now, I'm a horrible listener. Uh, I talk to people for a living. Typically, people who make their, make their living talking aren't necessarily uh, good listeners, Uh, Research shows that we are capable of speaking at 250 words a minute, thereabouts, but that we are capable of listening at close to 500 words a minute. So we are created with a natural inclination for listening. We were made to be listeners. 
I, I visited Tony and Amber Ellswick in Nicaragua this past November, and uh, it, was, it was fun to be there with them. And, you know, they're, they're, they're the big deal for them this first year of ministry overseas is to learn the language, get the hang of the language, this new language they're trying to speak. And they're at the, they're at the point now where if you go out with them, you're in good hands because whatever's happening, they can pretty much understand what's being said. But it's fun to watch because they can't yet, even though they can understand everything that's happening, they, when somebody's speaking to them, they can listen and they can, they can really comprehend what they're saying. They can't yet form those words in their own mouth and actually speak. Because the hearing, the, the being able to listen and understand comes before the hearing, doesn't it? I mean, don't let your little kids fool you. They know a whole lot more about what's going on before they can actually say it to you, right? If you have little, little children at home. They, they understand and they hear a lot better than, they, than they're able to speak. And all of that, you know, we are natural-born listeners, we're made to, 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 um, to take in information and comprehend it and really make sense of it. And if you're not convinced, let me give you just one last piece of irrefutable, unassailable evidence. And it's this. You have two ears and one mouth. We were made to listen. And that's what this text is about. This parable is about the need for us to be listening and hearing <clears throat> the words of, of God as they come to us. It's a parable about hearing. And really three things that I want to see uh, together from this story. They're the three points of the outline that I've given you in your worship folder. You'll see it there. First, we're just going to ask this. uh, You know, why do we need to hear? The parable is really designed to to answer that question, why it is we need to hear. But secondly, not only that we need to hear, but why we have such a hard time with hearing. Why is it that we are such poor listeners, especially when it comes to spiritual things? And then lastly, if that's true, if if it's important and crucial that we be able to hear... And if we are honest enough about the fact that we really have a hard time with it, then thirdly, this parable ultimately answers the question, how is it that we can begin to hear? So why we need to hear, why we can't hear, why we have such such a hard time with it, and how we can begin to hear. Those are our three points in our outline, and they're going to be the three discussion points that we have in this text this morning. So let's come to the the parable that Jesus tells here and and talk about this first thing, that this parable of the sower uh, teaches us why it is so important that we become people who can hear. Uh, this parable is the reason, uh, we're, we're told here in this parable, the reason for all of the parables, why Jesus, in fact, chose to teach in parables. And in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells this parable of the sowers, and then he goes on to explain the parable down later. But in between the telling and the explanation, there is a referencing by the gospel writer to a passage from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 6. In both Matthew and Mark, it's more comprehensive, but we have it here in Luke 2. So if you look there in verses 9 and 10, you'll see Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And then in verse 9, the disciples ask him what the parable means. And here's his response. To those, or excuse me, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now you you may notice there, that those last few words are in quotations. That's because they're quoting Isaiah 6. Now, this is a really big deal. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. But for, for now, let's just go. You know, it's really gotten under the skin of a lot of people. But right here, let me say that when Luke, when Luke begins to, to do this, as Matthew and Mark do also, uh, when Luke has the disciples asking about the meaning of this parable, and when Matthew and Mark have the disciples asking about all parables, why Jesus teaches in parables, the answer is this. We could summarize it. We have a hearing problem. I mean, Jesus teaches in parables because we have a hearing problem. We hear, but we don't hear. We see, but 
it doesn't lead to understanding. We, we hear the good news of the gospel, but it doesn't penetrate to the depths of our lives. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of times it doesn't even show up on our faces. We have a hearing problem. We're, this is a diagnosis of a spiritual disability. Our spiritual ears don't work properly. And there's a couple of reasons, a couple of reasons for that that we should really spend some time talking about together. First, there's a spiritual condition that's being diagnosed for us here. And, and you see it in more, more detail in the Ephesians 4 passage that Jonathan read a few minutes ago where, where Paul begins to talk about the Gentiles, those outside of Christ, those who are not Christians, who are not you know, believing people. He talks about the futility of their minds, that they're darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is due to them, due to the hardness of their hearts. Those are Paul's words. So he talks about the futility of mind, a darkened understanding, ignorance, all of which comes forth out of a hard heart. Now, it's the same in Isaiah 6, the same connection. If we were to read the Isaiah 6 passage, it's, it's that Isaiah talks about a people who see but they don't see, who hear but there's no real understanding of the things that they're listening to, and it's all because their hearts have become dull or calloused or hard. So something is wrong with our spiritual ears because something's wrong with our hearts. They're dull. They're hardened. Luke's way of putting this later in his gospel is that our hearts can be, we can be slow of heart to believe, Luke 24, 25. Slow of heart to believe. There is, and I, I do you know this about yourself, there's a natural dullness towards spiritual things that we all have to contend with in our lives. Spiritual things don't come easy to us because of the hardness of our hearts. Uh, There's a story, I think it probably is an urban legend, but it works nonetheless, about an American couple uh, who went on vacation to Dublin, Ireland, and out to dinner. And uh, they were at the table at the restaurant, and they looked across, and at the table next to them was Bono and a friend that he was having dinner with. And this lady was a huge fan of U2, and so with the courage that a few glasses of wine affords one in these sorts of situations. This lady walked over and said hello uh, to get an autograph from Bono. And, of course, uh, he played along. He even had his friend take a picture together. So this couple on vacation got a selfie with Bono in a restaurant in Ireland. They returned to their table. Bono and his friend left. And uh, when the couple was ready to leave, they asked for their bill. The maitre d' informed them that their bill had been paid for by Bono's dinner companion, a Mr. Bruce Springsteen. See, I mean, it's a funny, it's a funny antidote. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Seeing, but not seeing. Hearing, but not understanding. Being in the presence of greatness. And completely missing it. It not registering at all. Being able to hear the words of life. And kind of shrugging them off. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in England in the 19th century, said there's such a thing as being gospel-hardened, listen to this, this should, fri- this should scare us to death. He says, it is possible to send under sermons until your heart becomes dead and callous, never startled, never astonished. You come to church, but yet the tear does not trickle down your cheek. Your soul never seems to mount up to heaven on the wings of praise, nor do you ever deeply mourn over your sins. Your heart is iron, unless God himself shall be pleased to crack it asunder with an earthquake or with a heartquake, there will never be room for the seed of heaven to lodge there. There's a spiritual condition 
that the Isaiah passage that is quoted here by Jesus leads us to have to really meditate on. But this spiritual disability, unfortunately in our culture, is being enhanced by technological advances that we're all experiencing. There was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle a few weeks ago, and the title of the article was just simply, Why Can't We Read Anymore? The author of the article was a guy, he, uh, he was in, he's in the publishing business. He says books are his life, but he was lamenting the fact that as he looked back on 2015, he realized that he had only read four books the whole year. Now, that may sound like a lot to you. You may think, four books, man, that's, you know. But this guy was thinking, uh, that really wasn't, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a bad thing. And the real issue that he begins to wrestle with in the article, I would recommend it to you, is that he, he talks about how it's becoming harder and harder for us to concentrate on any one thing long enough uh, for us to make it through a book. He, he would describe trying to read late at night, but, and he was having trouble even, even um, stringing three or four sentences together and staying with it long enough to keep his attention on it to be able to make it through a chapter. And then it's only one chapter of 35 chapters and just being overwhelmed by it. And, he, and he's, he's referring to how technology, smartphones and tablets and all of these sorts of things have eroded our ability to concentrate for long periods of time on any one task. Information in our, in our culture now is coming at us so fast, and it's so accessible all the time through smartphones that our, that our concentration is constantly being broken. You know, you know this at work. You're doing, a, you're doing something at work, you're focusing, then the cell phone buzzes, and you come over here, and you deal with the cell phone, and you come back, and by that time, something else is happening, and you're pulling. And, and, and this is the way we live now, that, that all of this is coming so at us so quickly that we've lost the ability to focus on a task for long periods of time. We no longer just gather in the living room to watch television. We gather in the living room to watch television with our iPhones in front of us, doing something on our iPhones while we're watching the television. One of the, one of the things that the music industry, there's a, a problem the music industry is trying to solve is They've, found, they've learned that people don't even listen to songs all the way through anymore. We can't even stay focused for three and a half minutes on one thing. And all of this is training us to be always listening but never hearing. And so there's a spiritual disability that's being enhanced by technological advances that are true of our society. And this is why this is such a problem. We have a really big problem here. Because this text says it's important that we hear, and yet we have this spiritual disability and technological advances in our society that are really making it harder and harder and harder for us to hear. And it's a big problem because Christianity is a word that comes from the outside that you have to receive. In order to be a Christian, in order to stay a Christian, you have to have the ability to listen, and not just listen, but to listen and hear, to receive and perceive and hold fast and bear fruit, as the text goes on to say. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, Paul says, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing. So take that, so in other words, if, if you're, you know, faith leads to hearing. Therefore, if there is no hearing, there's no what? Faith. So in many ways, all of our struggles to believe more deeply in the gospel, to move more deeply into obedience and faithfulness to uh, our, our Savior, the, 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 the struggle underneath all of those struggles, the thing that we really have to figure out how to do is to become people who really do hear. Christianity's revelation. We have to be taught it. We would never come up with it on our own. I mean, the Freudian accusation that religion is, is a projection of our own inner needs and fears and sexual frustrations is silly. Christianity is a word. It's a word that comes from the outside that you have to bow your knee to even if you don't understand it or even if you don't like it. 
The seed is the word of God, we're told, verse 11. Christianity is God's idea, not ours. And here, here, you know, here's the thing. Here's the word that we have to receive. It's a word that comes, and here's the word that comes. Here's the gospel. You become a Christian by hearing, not by doing. Think about that for a minute. You become a Christian by hearing, not by doing. And that's why it's so important that we be able to hear. If we could become a Christian by doing, then it would be important that we do. But because you only become a Christian by hearing, then it's of infinite importance that we begin to be people who can hear. You don't become a Christian by your doing. It's the opposite. You're not a Christian until you lay your deadly doing down. The gospel is news. That's what the word means. It's not instruction. Jesus Christ has won the victory for us over sin and death and hell through his life of obedience to the Father on our behalf and his death on the cross as our substitute for sin. All of the doing has been done. Don't try the... All the doing has been done. There's nothing left to do but hear. Which is why... At the end of this parable, the teaching there in verse 18 is summed up this way. Take care then. Take care then how you hear. Now this would be a great goal for every single one of us for 2016. That the most important spiritual discipline that we could muster for this new year is that we begin to be people who can truly listen and hear. Listen and hear when we gather in, you know, settings like this one where the word is preached and sung and prayed over us, that we would be a people who work at the discipline of being able... I've thought about this, you know, it, it is countercultural for me to bring my 15-year-old to a service and sit him next to me and expect that he would listen for 35 minutes. That's countercultural, but it's vitally important that we would be people who hear, not just in formal settings like this, but when we are in private, in our Bible reading, to, you know, and, and in the way that we try to digest the Scriptures. These are the words of God that have been given to us, that it is a matter of life and death that we hear them, that we would be people committed to the hearing of God's Word so that we could be growing in our faith. Faith comes by hearing. Not only that, but that we would be a people growing in our ability to hear As we gather in community groups and other settings where we're talking about our personal reflections on the Scripture or in friendships where we sit across the one another, uh, you know, at tables and restaurants and we are committed to doing the hard work of speaking the truth to one another in love that we might grow one another in our faith. That we would become good listeners. That is the key to spiritual growth. We have a hearing problem. And therefore we should take care of how we hear. We need to hear in the right way. And that's the second thing the parable is designed to help us with. Not only to teach us the importance that we become people who really do excel at this spiritual discipline of hearing, but also to show us some of the reasons, not all of them, but just a few of the reasons we have such a hard time with this. There are three types of hearing that are hearing in the wrong way, that are hearing with an unhearing heart. That's the way I'm going to phrase it. And there are three types of soil that Jesus describes that prove to be uh, you know, images and metaphors of these three types of unhearing heart. Okay, so let's work through those three together. So what are some of the reasons we have such a hard time hearing then? And the first, these come to us in warnings. And the first warning you'll see there in verse 5 is, take, hear, take care, take care that you don't hear with a busy heart. Because a busy heart is an unhearing heart. Verse 5, a sower went to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. In verse 12, these are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So here the image is the image of a path. 
this hard, compacted soil that the seed can't penetrate. It's, this is the, the footpath through the fields that the workers would, would use, and eventually you come and go on the path enough, you know, that it becomes hard, compacted soil, and, and if the seed falls there, it doesn't, it doesn't penetrate itself into the earth. Um, it, when, uh, this, the, the illustration I would use for my own life, when my kids were really little, we, uh, since they've been little for our whole lives, we've been a little obsessed with baseball. Canaan wanted to play baseball all the time uh, from the very first days that he was born. So every day when I came home from work, we'd spend hours in our backyard, our old house. It was a small backyard, but we'd, we'd go back there and we'd just spend hours, it felt like, trying to hit balls, wiffle balls, not, not real balls, but wiffle balls over the house because if you hit one over the house, it was a home run. So thousands of wiffle ball games in the backyard of our house. And we eventually created a little field uh, with a spot for home plate. And we played so much that where, where home plate was, it didn't matter what I did, uh, I could never get any grass to grow there. It was just dirt. Uh, and, which meant that they would come into the house with dirty shoes, or worse, if we were playing barefoot, they would come into the house with dirty feet. So I tried to solve this problem in a number of different ways. Eventually, I bought a big piece of rubber and painted a home plate on the rubber and laid it in the backyard, hoping that it would keep you know, us from tracking dirt in the house. But the point, we, we just played and played and played over and over and over again, and, and the result was there was no grass that would grow. And that really is what this, what this image here is pointing us to. It's the danger of busyness. That there can be so much activity that you can be rushing from one thing to the next that when you hear, you don't really hear because you don't take time to stop and think. You rush through whatever it is you're doing to the next thing. You rush through your Bible reading. You rush out of church to beat people to the restaurant. And I know, especially since we, we, we meet at 10.30 now instead of 9.30. Right? I mean, we've got to get out of here fast if you want to beat those people to firehouse or whatever it is. Used to be we could take our time. Now it's got to get out of here. You, you rush into the next thing. Spurgeon described a busy heart like this. He says, the soil of your heart is so well beaten by continual traffic that there is no hope of the seed finding a lasting and living foothold. No, the road of your heart is such a crowded thoroughfare that there is no room for the sweet to spring up. See, an unhearing heart we're told, verse 10, is a heart that, that hears or sees but doesn't understand. There's no understanding. And that word means something very specific. It means to put the pieces uh, of a puzzle together. When you're, you, know, and you know when you're on vacation, you're putting a piece of, pieces of puzzle together. Uh, you, you lay all the pieces out. You study them to find the connections. You organize them. At least OCD people like me do it this way. You might just like launch into it. Who knows? But this is, if you do it the right way, this is the way you do it, okay? Elisa's shaking her head at me, right? So you lay it out, you put it on, you get it, okay, oh, this looks the same color, and you, and you piece it all together. You organize things. You get it all ready. This is the person, the person with the, that hears with a busy heart is the one who, who hears the gospel but is always in a hurry. And so they don't do that work. They don't, put, they don't do all of that organizing and putting things together. And you know, it should be said that busyness like this is a great strategy for living a spiritually shallow life. Busyness is a great way to, to never have to listen to the deep thoughts, desires, questions, longings, and hurts of your heart. If you stay busy, you don't have to deal with those things. You don't have to ever go below the surface. The person with the busy heart never slows down long enough to think out the implications of what they've heard they, and put the pieces together and stay with it long enough to get past the spiritual disability and the technological things in our society to allow it to really sink into their hearts. They hear and as soon as they hear, they rush off into other things. And we're told that the devil, the world of technology, and their own 
dull hearts work together to steal the word away from them so that they can't believe and be saved. So take care how you hear. But the second warning, the second warning is in the second type of soil, and you see that there, take care that you don't hear with a shallow heart, because a shallow heart is an unhearing heart. So verse 6, a sower went and sowed his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And verse 13, these are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. And so they believe for a little while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. So, so here the soil is like the soil. It's very much like the soil in Jesus' day in this part of the world. It's very rocky. And of course, 2,000 years ago in the ancient world, they were using rudimentary farming equipment. And then, you know, there was no John Deere back in Jesus' time. And so when the farmer would go out to till the ground, when he was done, there would be places where there would be a thin layer of turned soil. But then just underneath it, there would be rocks and stones that would not allow the root system of the plant to grow properly. I mean, you know, if you know this. If you go to Doty's and you buy a little plant, and it comes in a pot about this big, eventually, if the plant is going to flourish and continue to grow, you've got to transplant the plant out of the pot and put it into the ground. Why? Because it needs more soil than is contained in the pot for the roots to go into the ground so the plant can stay healthy. And that's what happened to this seed here, according to Jesus. The root system was too confined. It was, it was compromised. There was, there was not enough depth. And so the first dry spell or the first cold day or the first Florida summer, whatever it might be, and the plant began to wither. Things got tough and, it couldn't, and, and the person couldn't keep going. So the danger here is superficial spirituality. No depth. No depth. Wanting the Corona commercial, that's life. How effective has that ad campaign, campaign been? You know what I'm talking about? The picture on the beach with the little, you know, that's, that's the good life. That's, this, is, this is the warning that, that we're being given here. That the text says the person who hears with a shallow heart, they start out with lots of enthusiasm. There's lots of emotion at the very beginning, and then the hard times come. In verse 13, we're told they fall away. That language means that they are scandalized. That's the Greek word there. They're scandalized by the hard times. It becomes a stumbling block to them. It trips them up because they're, they're not expecting it. They think this is the way things are supposed to go. And I want to tell you, we're setting people up for this in American evangelicalism. We tell people it's easy to believe in Jesus, and if you do, you'll never be lonely or sick or any of that, and you'll have all of the money and all of the stuff you've ever wanted. It's part of the deal. And then somebody gets sick. And sickness is never God's will. And they pray, and they don't get any better. And instead of coming to the conclusion that their conclusions were wrong, they instead conclude that God was wrong, that God was a liar, and they walk away. And so it's a, it's a warning. Be careful. Be careful of, of religious enthusiasm and emotionalism. Not emotion. Emotion is good. Listen, we need a little more emotion, okay? In fact, we need a lot more emotion. There you go. Thank you. We need a lot more of that. But emotionalism, emotionalism, the teaching here is that what matters most is endurance. Is endurance, not enthusiasm. It's getting to the end. It's getting through the hard thing, even when, even when it stays hard. I mean, the test of good hearing is endurance, not emotionalism. And I remember an old preacher in my childhood saying, what matters most is not how high you fly, but how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Don't be afraid of emotion. 
But don't make it the main thing either. And another danger, I think another danger here, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is, is, is just the danger of mobility. It's connected to the first, I think. I mean, when, we, when things get hard, I think our first impulse is often to up and move. I mean, I see people do it all the time, right? They think the solution to relational conflict or whatever it might be is a change of their circumstances. But the solution, the solution to any of the hard things that, that would come into our lives, hardly ever is a change of circumstances. The solution is always deeper roots, more character. A greater capacity to absorb suffering. That's the, pro- that's the promise of the gospel. Not that we won't have to suffer, but that he can turn us into people who can, who can be increased in their ability to absorb suffering. But in order to grow roots, you have to stay put in the same place for a long period of time. You have to exult in monotony. You have to be committed to the same old, same old, and dwell there for its redemption. Wendell Berry, great American author, has a line in one of his books... Uh, that really, really uh, just ministers to me. He says, There is a day when the road neither comes nor goes, and the way is not a way, but a place. Place is advance. That's part of the teaching. Place is advance. So the person who aims at the Corona commercial, they hear, but eventually they reach their limit. They get a little too uncomfortable, or, <laughs> or they just get bored. And the spiritual buzz wears off, and so they believe for a little while, but eventually what the hard thing they expected God to remove doesn't get removed. They believe for a little while, but eventually their spiritual vitality begins to wither. They start out strong, but they don't last. They don't endure through the hard thing. They don't stay put. They don't grow roots. They don't develop deep-seated convictions about the gospel. They don't stick around long enough to develop deep gospel relationships that force you out of spiritual superficiality. Be careful how you hear. The third warning. The third warning is just the third type of soil. And it's just this, take care that you don't hear with a divided heart, because a divided heart is, a, is an unhearing heart too. And so verse 7, a sower went to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. Verse 14, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so the image here is thorns. For us, probably better weeds. I mean, you tell me, what happens if you plant a garden in May in Central Florida and then don't go out to check on it until late July? You don't have a garden anymore. You have weeds. You have to go out. You have to pull the weeds or they'll take over and suck all of the nutrients out of the soil and there will be nothing left for your vegetables. The weeds... You know, what, what discourages me, I've tried to do some gardening. When I say gardening, I mean like a, like a four-by-four little plot of ground, and I can't even keep that under control. So, I don't, you know, I don't, you guys that have, like, real gardens astound me. But, it, you know, the weeds seem to grow more naturally than the plants, don't they? And that just discourages me, especially here in Florida. Thorns that we're told here, thorns in the, in the Scriptures are associated with the curse. So you read in Genesis 3.19 that the ground is cursed, Here's what God says to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you, thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. Now, what does that mean? It means, it means the ground no longer freely and joyfully brings forth what we need. You want bread to eat? You better get to work. You're going to have to work hard for it. And it's the same with spiritual things. If you want to grow spiritually, 
There's only one option. There's only one option for spiritual advance, and that is that you be proactive and disciplined and diligent. If you do nothing, the one thing you can be sure of, that the weeds of sin will grow and choke out whatever work of the Spirit God is doing in your life. So the danger here is affluence. What are the thorns that choke the gospel and cut off its power? Verse 14, the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Now, isn't that interesting? Those things are not the fruit... They're not the fruit. They are the weeds that must be cleared away so the gospel fruit can grow. And that's not how we normally think of these things. You know how I know? Because I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that 95% of us in the room at least played one ticket in the $800 million Powerball last night. Be honest. I did, right? Peer pressure, my, my 15... No, I shouldn't blame it on anybody. I played. I played. $2, let's do it, have fun. And we all did. Eight, what could you do with $800 million? You know what the answer is? Shrivel up and die spiritually. But I played. (laughs) Right? Why? 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 Because, Because the things that Jesus says are thorns are too often the fruit that I'm after. Our fruit, for Jesus they are thorns, and what we often see as thorns are his fruit. And here is the lesson that Spurgeon so eloquently said. He says, grace is exotic and thorns are indigenous in the human heart. Sin, lust, covetousness, idolatry, all of those things are at home in our hearts. Don't do anything. Be passive instead of proactive. And whatever fruit God is producing in you, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth, it will quickly be overrun with weeds that will sap your spiritual strength. The person who hears with a divided heart doesn't approach spiritual things with the seriousness that they should. It's just one little piece of the pie, or whatever the case might be. Take care, take care then, how you hear. And so we see from this text why it is that we need to hear. We see very clearly some of the reasons, three of them, three of the reasons why it is we have such a hard time hearing. But there's good news, and we have to end on that. And lastly, we learn how it is that we can hear, how, how hearing really does happen. See, there's a progression here that you need to follow in this text. You start with the path, the, the, the no-hearing person, which is the path. Uh, and then Jesus moves on to a second, a second type of person where there's an initial reception, but there are no roots. Uh, that's the rocks, right? It's somebody who, who somewhat hears, but then as time goes on, uh, the, the, it proves ineffe- ineffectual. And then there's the genuine hearing of those who, who really do embrace and receive the word of God with gladness. And then they even go so far as to bear some fruit. But the problem is, is the fruit doesn't mature. It doesn't stay on the plant long enough because the thorns choke it out. And then you cross over the line to a, the genuine hearing and faith. And you get that. Uh, let me see, where are we? You get that there at the very end in verse 8. And some fell with, into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then verse 15, as for those, this is the good soil, those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So unlike the busy heart, the hearing heart holds fast to the word. It grabs on and doesn't let go. It doesn't get distracted by other things. And unlike the shallow heart, which is so easily put off, the hearing heart bears fruit with patience. And unlike the divided heart, the hearing heart is honest and good. So how do, you get, how do you get a heart like that? The purpose of Jesus' parable ministry, we're told here, was to create this divide. 
the very divide we're talking about between the unhearing heart and the one that hears. The disciples ask him, verse 9, look there one more time. Why this teaching? Why, why parables? What's the purpose of this parable? And look at what Jesus' answer is and what the, te- what the ultimate teaching of the text is. That is meant, it's scary. I'm going to warn you in advance. It's scary. It's meant to be. It's meant to rattle us and to shake us and to cause us to fall on our knees. And here it is. Here's the teaching. Listen to, listen to these words carefully. Lord, give us ears to hear this. Verse 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God to the disciples, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see. Now we're up against something really hard. And I'd rather just pass it by to be honest with with you. But it's really important to understand this text. And here it is. Jesus says that hearing is given. If you hear, it's because it has been given to you to hear. There are some to whom it has been given to know and some to whom it has not been given to know. And Jesus taught in parables, we're told here, because there's something about parables, there's something about the format of parables that caused those to whom it had been given to hear to hear, and at the same time it caused those to whom it had not been given to hear to become unhearing. He taught in parables so that the disciples could understand, and look again, and so that seeing the others may not see, and in hearing they may not understand. So Luke's different here. In Matthew, it is because the people have hardened their hearts that Jesus speaks to them in parables. But here in Luke, Jesus speaks in parables in order to harden hearts. So which is it? Are the parables because they have hard hearts? Or is it to harden their hearts? The answer is both. The answer is both. And listen, here's the point. Avoiding a theological controversy which would miss the whole point of the text. Here's the point. Hearing is grace. Hearing is grace. How do you get a hearing heart? It's not something you can do on your own, in your own strength. It's something that God does. We have no control over it. Hearing isn't due to your intellect or to the frequency with which you attend church or how often you read the Bible. It's something God must do. God has to give you ears before you can hear. We typically have trouble with a statement like that because we don't like feeling that things are not in our control. But listen, they're not. Spiritual understanding is a miracle. Which parents, which means every time you see it in your, in, your, in your kids, you ought to stop and just rejoice. It's a miracle. There's nothing you can do to cause yourself to hear. That doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. Because don't forget verse 18, the text leaves us with the admonition. Take care then how you hear. And so let me just finish with two, with two points of application on exactly, I think, what that means for us. And the first thing it means is that be, being careful, knowing that hearing is a grace, that it's something God must do, but that, I, but that doesn't mean there's nothing left for me to do, that I should be careful how I hear. The first thing that means is that I have to acknowledge that I am not the sower, that I am the soil. Not only in my own life, but even with my kids, with you, with you. It is not my word. It's not my words that need to penetrate your heart. It's why when Ivan read the, the, the scripture, he finished the reading of the scripture by saying, this is God's word. What is God's word? Everything before he said that statement. What is not God's word? Everything I've said since that statement. It's not my words. I'm not the sower. I'm not the sower. The seed is God's word, and he is the sower, and he is faithful. So if hearing is a grace, then I need to be crying out to him in faith, begging him to take his plow 
and his hoe of suffering and break up the hardness of my heart that keeps me from hearing. I need to be asking him and pleading with him to weed out my love for the world and the things of the world so that hearing I might hear and seeing I might understand. I'm not the sower. Parents, you're not the sower in your, ch- in your child's life. Wives, you're not the sower in your husband's life. But there is a sower, and he's faithful. And second, if hearing is a grace, and if it's his work, then my work, the work that's left to me is to get myself and my wife, my kids, and all of you into the way of his working. That's the work. See, if it's his work, then my work is to get me and my wife, my kids, and all of you into the way of his working. Richard Foster, who's written a great deal about the spiritual disciplines, he, he has a very helpful paragraph in one of his books. He says this. He says, A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of the grain. He cultivates the ground. He plants the seed. He waters the plants. And then the natural forces of earth take over, and up comes the grain. This is the way with the spiritual disciplines. It's the way with the discipline of hearing, too. They are a way of sowing to the Spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us to transform us. By themselves... They can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. If ultimately my life is dependent upon a work that God must do, then all that is left for me to do is to get myself to the place where he can do the work that he promises to do. Does that make sense? Even though though the work is not mine, it doesn't mean there's not work for me to do. It is my work to get myself to the place where he can go to work as he promises to do. You know, we just read the book of Revelation at the end of the year in our community Bible reading. Um program. And in Revelation 19, Jesus is pictured as a conquering king with a sword coming out of his mouth by which he is slaying the nations. And it's a picture of the preached word of God. He is conquering the nations and conquering the hearts of his people with the gospel message. And not just in settings like this today where I stand or someone else to preach, but when we gather in community groups to discuss with one another, and when we gather around the dinner tables, families to talk with one another, and in all the different situations and friendships where we're committed to speaking the truth in love to one another, to grow one another up, he is a conquering king with the gospel message going forth, not only from him, but from his people. The kingdom comes by hearing. That's the point. The kingdom comes by hearing. Therefore, take care how you hear. Let's pray. Can we do that? Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we do, um, we do bow ourselves before you in the recognition that though we are so used to being able to manage life in our own strength and with our own talents and resources and gifts, when it comes to spiritual things, we can feel our natural inability We can feel the dullness of our hearts, and uh, we're scared of it, I think, which is why we stuff it down. But if we were to be honest for one minute, we would have to say we feel it. We know it's true of us, and it's scary, and and we can feel how fast our world is spinning out of control and driving us away from the spiritual disciplines that have historically helped your people. We are a people um, who really, really do struggle with this discipline of hearing. We're not good listeners. We much prefer to talk and to air our opinions. We do it on, on social media and internet outlets all the time. Uh, but Father, your word says that faith, the beginnings of faith are, are, are the moments when we shut our mouths and we begin to listen with our ears. When we stop our boasting and our bragging and our complaining and we start to listen to you. So would you help us? Come, Father, give us the spirit to 
to work in us, to cause us to excel at the spiritual discipline of hearing, so that hearing we might become like this good soil, bearing good fruit, flourishing and full of fruitfulness for the sake of being a blessing to the city that you've called us to. That is our desire and our, and our hope. And so we look to you as the one who must do this work in us. We put ourselves in the way of your working, even in these moments, and ask you, come, Holy Spirit, work in us for our good and your glory. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Being told that we do not have in ourselves the ability to hear should not make us um, more inclined to just say, then forget it. It should make us more, uh, more eager to fall on our face and say, oh, Lord, have mercy. See, one of the ways that you can measure the work of grace in your own hearts is when you come up against your own spiritual inability. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't cause you to, to, to lash out in anger or hardness of heart, it causes you to fall on your face and say, God, be gracious to me, be merciful to me. And so really the point is when, the, when true spiritual growth happens is when you come face to face with your spiritual inability, but still you remain steadfast, steadfastly committed and, and assured of God's great mercy and love and goodness towards you. See, that's the promise of this benediction, and it's why it's so important. So receive these words. These are the promise that the one in whose hands your life truly is, is not a stern, obtuse, mean-spirited God. He is a loving and kind Father who longs with all of his heart to do good to you. That's what these words mean. And so receive these words uh, in your hearts by faith. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.